Hello everyone, welcome to the Perspectives on the Short Story podcast from FSU Panama City. I'm Michael Getz, and on today's episode we are going to be looking at the short story known as The Story of an Hour by Kate Chopin from 1894. I'll be going over the seven plot points of the story and an analysis that I wrote for the class. Thank you. Now, before we begin going over the analysis, I'd like to recap short summary of the story. If you're not familiar, I highly recommend you go read it. It's very short. You can find it online for free. The story follows Louise Mallard, who is a woman in the 19th century, and she has just received the news that her husband has died in a horrible accident. And the story just follows her immediate reaction, where she's in a room and she deals with different emotions, starting, of course, with grief and shock, but eventually transforming into relief and even happiness at the freedom that she might have as a widow. And it is a nice little roller coaster ride snapshot of someone's life. The irony of the story, of course, is that her friends, when they come to knock at her door and get her out of the room, her sister informs her that her husband has actually survived. Her husband's at the door, and she ends up being the one who dies. She actually dies of a, I believe, a heart attack, some sort of heart condition. But yes, that is the story of an hour in a nutshell. Again, please do take the time to read it in your own time if you have not already. It's a good story. Of course, before I begin this analysis, I'd also like to quickly review the seven plot points or basic structure, which I am using to analyze the story. The first point is the hook. That is just the compelling event that gets you to actually read the story, raises that question that you want answered as a reader. It captivates you. So like in the, the inciting incident that disrupts the status quo of the main character. Then we have the first plot point, which just happens in the first act of the story propels the main character into the central conflict of the story, and it's a break from the status quo. It's usually just the first significant event in the story. It just serves as a catalyst for the events to come. And then we have the first pinch point. This is in the middle of the story. This is where the protagonist faces intense pressure as a result of the first plot point. And it forces the character into a critical decision, consequences of which will affect the rest of the story. And then, of course, we reach that critical decision, which is the midpoint, which is the middle of the story, of course. It's where the protagonist has to make a critical decision and take action. And as a result of this, they form a new goal. And then we have the final or the second pinch point. So this is the later part of the second act. The character experiences another pressure point that is related to the main conflict. This could be a battle with the main antagonist, maybe a continuation of the stakes from the first pinch point usually results in the formation of like a plan that propels the character out of Act 2 and into the final act. And then we have the final plot point. This is where the protagonist is at their lowest point. Looks like all hope is lost. Looks like the bad guys have won. This is where we lead into the climax and eventually the resolution. So then we have, of course, the resolution. This completes the story arc. The protagonist makes their final choice. Uh, they do some action that reveals something about their character, something profound. And it just ties up the narrative in a satisfying way. So that is the seven plot points for basic structure. So immediately in the story, our first sentence already gives us quite a lot to break down. It is a pretty compelling hook. 
we already learn of the main character, Mrs. Mallard, who has a heart trouble. And then we learn that she's about to hear something crazy, that her husband has just died. So we as the reader, we want to see how she reacts to this. We want to find out what happened to her husband. There's a very compelling hook that immediately captures our attention. Continuing along with the story, we find out that her sister Josephine had tried to tell her, she was kind of speaking in broken sentences and veiled hints, sort of beating around the bush. Obviously, it's a very tragic event. Sometimes, you know, more euphemistic language is used. But then her husband's friend Richard is also there, and he had actually been in the newspaper office, and he had seen Brentley Mallard, her husband's name, was leading the list of the killed in this train crash, this railroad disaster. And the story tells us he had taken time to assure himself that this was true with a second telegram. So we, we receive a sort of finality, like this is, this is confirmed, this is real, this is not a fluke, her husband really is dead. And he wanted to be sure so that when he broke the news to Mrs. Mallard, he was certain. So this first plot point, of course, telling Mrs. Mallard about her husband's death, that completely changes her world and shifts the story into its next phase. And so, heading towards the first pinch point, the story hints that Mrs. Mallard's reaction is a little bit different from how other women have also heard news of their husband tragically dying. So, it states other women typically have like a paralyzed inability to accept it. It is sort of like that first stage of grief. However, with Mrs. Mallard, she immediately starts weeping and she's she just seems hysterical in her sister's arms. And then she runs away to her room and she shuts herself inside. And then she sinks into her armchair. She's looking out the window and she's looking out into the the open world and the trees, seeing people going about their daily lives, hearing a distant song, seeing the blue sky, seeing the world as it is. And she's motionless and she's sobbing, but she's sort of admiring the beauty of the natural world as well. And we get to learn that she's young and she has a fair and calm face. Though there's a dull stare in her eyes, she's thinking deeply after her husband has died. And then she feels something coming to her and she doesn't really know what it is. She, she can't really put a name on it, but she feels something coming, mixing in with the sense and the color of the air. And we begin to realize she's trying to figure out how she wants to feel about this. Obviously, immediately she started weeping and crying, but now that she's alone and not influenced by the expectations she should have as somebody grieving over a loved one, now that she's in her room, she gets to decide for herself how she's actually going to handle this. And now we are approaching the midpoint of the story, and she can feel her chest rise and fall, and she's beginning to actually recognize this feeling that she's forming in her body as she's looking out into the world and it's it's starting to take hold of her and and she's fighting back against it a little bit but ultimately she's realizing 
that she needs to embrace this feeling. And she ends up saying, with slightly parted lips under her breath, free, free, free. And that's the realization that all of a sudden now she doesn't have to be a wife to a husband. She gets to live as a widow with the same rights and the same agency as a widow would have. But she doesn't have to be tied to a husband. She suddenly realizes this, this means freedom for her, really. And all of a sudden, she, she's starting to have a faster heartbeat. She feels warm blood coursing through her body. Ironically, in this moment of death, she feels more alive than ever. And suddenly she's decided, this is, this is how I'm going to react to it. She doesn't ask herself if it's a quote-unquote monstrous joy that holds her. She, she has a clear and exalted perception. She feels... No, this is, this is how I'm going to look at this. And just continuing before we get to the final pinch point, we get more insight into the excitement that she actually feels. She's thinking about the possibilities that await her, that lie before her. She knows that she'll still feel sad when she sees her husband, dad, at the funeral. And she knows that that will still be sad for her but she instead of seeing this as a bitter moment and a long grieving period she instead chooses to look at it with with open arms to welcome it and she says in her own mind she'll live for herself there's no powerful will that's going to bend hers based on arbitrary rules imposed by society as to how men and women should interact with one another and she feels now she gets really just to live as she wants to. And she even thinks to herself, she may have loved him, but sometimes she didn't really love him. I mean, thinking of the context, it's a 19th century marriage. People didn't necessarily marry for love. They married for status. They married for wealth reasons. So... It's not surprising to hear that she's not exactly sad over losing somebody that she felt love for, because she ne didn't necessarily feel that strong of a connection to her husband. And then she says, free, body and soul free. She keeps whispering this. She's reaffirming it to herself. But then, then there is her sister's voice at the door that brings her back to the reality of the situation. And so we reach the final pinch point. Josephine is at the door imploring her sister, who we now learn Mrs. Mallard's name is Louise, imploring her sister Louise to open the door. She assumes that Louise has been grieving and she shut herself in and she's making herself sick by wasting away alone in her room. Obviously, we as the readers know that's not the case. And... Luis even brazenly says, go away, I'm not making myself ill. She admits she's, she's doing fine. But nonetheless, of course, Luis lets her sister in, and she clasps her sister's waist, and they descend the stairs. And Richards is there waiting for them at the bottom. And we are 
about to see the news with Luis of what has actually become of her husband. And lo and behold, with our final plot points, Mr. Mallard, Brentley Mallard, is at the door with the latchkey. He's a little travel stained, he's maybe a little tired from his travels, but he's completely fine. No scratches on him, nothing. He's not dead. Now, of course, in any traditional sense, this would be a miraculous happy ending. You know, the, the wife reunited with the husband who she once thought dead. You would think there'd be celebration, there'd be hugs, there would be reaffirmations of love. Yeah, we actually learned that he was very far from the scene of the accident. Uh, Josephine, then we hear, cries, a piercing cry, and then Richard's blocks him from the view of his wife. What what happens? Well, that's the resolution. And so, in an ironic twist in the resolution, we learn that Richards was too late. And we just get one line that tells us when the doctors came, they said she had died of heart disease, of joy that kills. We learn that Louise died of a heart attack upon seeing her husband risen from the dead. And that is how the story ends. And so Kate Chopin's The Story of an Hour is a really interesting story because it flips on our head what we would expect when we see a story about a wife hearing news of her dead husband. We think it's just going to be sad and her learning to move on and deal with grief how we would envision most people deal with grief. It is that reversal of expectations, is that scene where Louise actually looks at her husband's death optimistically that makes the story interesting, that makes it have a theme that we have to sort of search for. So let's talk a little bit about that theme. And so, as I had mentioned earlier, of course, when Louise is looking out the outside world, she's seeing how life carries on, and she's seeing the infinite possibilities that lie ahead of her. And of course, she says freedom. She says free, 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 body and soul free, under her breath. She realizes that, as a widow, she has the most autonomy practically any woman in her time could have in that position because she inherits the property and the state of whatever her husband would have been holding and it's not out of the ordinary for her because she had already been married so she gets to choose how she wants to live the rest of her life without needing to answer to a husband who would have been in control of her basically Unfortunately for Louise, her feelings and her independent spirit are a dream that is forbidden by her society at the time. That autonomy for women was something that was just not really seen as normal. And so she has to be punished. And that punishment is her husband coming back and being unscathed and then she dies from her heart condition that was mentioned earlier. And in this way, Brentley Millard, kind of like a force representing society's disapproval of female independence and patriarchal marriage, it's sent to correct her ignominy. 
And while this is sad, one can also view Luis's death as a sort of liberating force from a life that she would inevitably suffer through. I mean, if she was so happy learning that her husband was dead and that she would be able to live independently for the rest of her life, then maybe it's not the worst thing that she died the moment he came back. I mean, she admitted that she shuddered that she would have a long life with her husband. And in a poetic way, now she's not imprisoned anymore. She's free. It may be in death, but she is nonetheless free. And this is why the story of an hour is such an interesting story, because it lets us see into this brief glimpse of the hope for independence from a woman, but then we get reminded with the realities of that time period. And though it is brief, I think it perfectly communicates this message, and it is one of my favorite short stories of all time. Okay, so that brings this episode of the Perspectives on Short Story podcast to a close. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed my analysis on this story, and I also hope that if you have not read it, or even if you have, that you go back and read it, because it's a great story, and it'll only take five minutes of your time. I'd love to hear what you think of the story as well, and if you have any other recommendations for short stories I should check out, I would love to hear them. Once again, thank you for tuning in to this podcast episode. I look forward to seeing you next time. Take care of yourself, and I will see you later. Bye-bye.